Seven things you really ought to know about the budget. I'm Jamie East and this is the Smartest Seven. If you've ever got to the middle of the month and there's no money left, imagine being Rishi Sunak. He's trying to make Britain's books balance after Covid consumed all the cash. So what are his options? Who's likely to be this budget's winners and losers? And how does it all work? For the UK, £928 billion sounds like a lot to spend, but if you've only got £873 billion coming in, that's a big shortfall. Helping me out are financial analyst Danny Houston and the New Economics Foundation's Dominic Caddick. You'll also hear from some of the men who've delivered the budget in recent times. And yes, they are all men. But we've also got this insight from Lady Howe, the wife of former Chancellor Geoffrey. Budget day is a little bit like having a baby. All the build-up to it. I don't know whether the Chancellor have quite the same pains in giving birth. It really depends on the budget you're actually delivering. OK, let's start with the what and the why. The country's bank manager is the Chancellor of the Exchequer. They raise money by setting taxes and distributing it to the various government departments to spend. These plans are announced in the budget. Ken Clark was Chancellor from 1993 to 1997. The Chancellor is the best job in government outside the Premiership. Uh, you do, firstly, have huge responsibilities for macroeconomic policy. You also control public spending, which determines the priorities of the government across every other department. You really know more about what's going on in the whole government probably than any other departmental minister. So the word budget comes from the French word budget, which basically means small bag. And that is because when those financial statements used to be brought to the Commons, they were brought in a little leather bag. That's Danny Hewson, a financial analyst with AJ Bell. Danny's here to help make sense of the big ideas and the even bigger numbers. If you're talking about your own household budget, you go through what you've got coming in, what you've got going out, and you figure out if they meet in the middle. Well, a budget is very similar to that, but on a much bigger scale, of course. It's thinking about how much money the Exchequer's got coming in, all the tax that we pay, and thinking about where it has to go. So funding the NHS, making sure kids are educated. It has to balance. Well, most of the time, that's the idea. Of course, it doesn't always balance. And over the last couple of years, because of COVID, it really hasn't balanced. We've seen huge changes because of COVID. And the idea with a spending review is that all the different departments say what they would like, what they need, what they're spending. And the government then says, well, hang on a sec, we think you could spend less. So we're going to be thinking about cutting you back. And other departments, they might say, well, you know, you've had a really tricky time, like with the NHS, so we're going to give you more. The overweight elephant in the airing cupboard is, of course, coronavirus, which has had a profound effect on everything, including spending. Dominic Caddick is from the New Economics Foundation. Yeah, the furlough scheme was that we've been pretty pleased about how it protected jobs and incomes and, you know, stopped people from being unemployed when, you know, literally the economy was all shut down. The £20 universal credit uplift, sadly, you know, it's now been taken away, but when it was added on, it was a very useful lifeline for many people on low incomes especially because lots of people were actually pushed on to universal credit because of the pandemic. People had an easier time navigating through that. At the very least, you know, it was £1,000 extra a year, and that's really, really significant for people on lowest incomes. So basically, COVID's messed everything up. What was originally thought to be a temporary disruption to our way of life 
has fundamentally altered it. Not just the humongous amount of cash we've had to spend to fight it, but even the timeline for planning the budget itself. It's time to correct all that. Normally, you would be talking about a budget once a year and a spending review maybe every couple of years, but honestly, they move the goalposts all the time. We haven't had a budget for 18 months. We've had to sort of roll everything together, which is why they're doing them both at the same time, because things have changed. The amount of money that they've got coming in really has slipped away. The amount of money that they've had to spend has ramped up. So what the government is having to do with this mega budget spending review is take a look at where they are now to figure out what's coming in, what's got to go out and whether or not they can afford to pay the bills. Much like you and I, if the country spends more than it makes, it soon runs into trouble. But the UK scene is a pretty good bet, so there are plenty who'll lend us cash when we need it. But borrowing is getting more expensive. The interest that the government pays on the over two trillion pounds worth of debt that they have shot up by a massive amount in August, is shot up by a massive amount in June, and there's two reasons for that. The people that they borrow the money off do something through an index-linked guilt, which is linked to inflation. Inflation is going up, so the interest payments are also going up. Because inflation is going up, they are going to see an interest rate rise, and an interest rate rise will also apply to some of the debt that the government has. What people who lend the government money know is they're good for it. And the Bank of England has been printing money through something called quantitative easing. It's been buying quite a big chunk of the government debt in order to keep the economy moving, but it has to show fiscal responsibility. If it can prove that it is acting in the best interest of the economy as a whole and not just the government everybody keeps lending. If it goes too far the wrong way, then people start to get the wobbles. And that is one of the reasons that we saw austerity after the financial crash. Hang on a minute. I'm still getting my head around two trillion. How many zeros? It's a lot of zeros. What is two trillion? Let's put that into Google and see if it will bring up exactly how many zeros. One million million. So let's count the zeros here. We've got... Three, six, nine, twelve. Wow. Okay, that's two million million. Two trillion is a big hole. But if we're in charge of the pound, why can't we just inject more money into the economy? Can't we just print more? It's job done, isn't it? One of the biggest reasons that the bank can't just keep printing money is inflation. If you keep printing money it becomes worth less. So every single pound that we have suddenly doesn't go as far. It doesn't buy as much. You might have seen your pay packet increase a teeny tiny bit, but the amount that's going out has increased by an awful lot more than that. Fiscal responsibility is about making sure we're not putting in too much. We're not making the economy run too hot. They call it Goldilocks, the temperature, not too hot, not too cold. Some even question the whole aim of balancing the budget at all. Here's Dominic Caddick again. Despite all this clamouring about how we have to balance the budget, that happened at the start of the coming years and then 
was there throughout, they never actually achieved any of their own goals. Our deficit would be gone by 2017. And, you know, in 2017, it was not gone. Then it was 2020. 2020, it wasn't gone. And, you know, now it's sort of been forgotten about because we're in such a you know, different circumstance. Pausing a balanced budget, it simply didn't happen. And that should be thought of as, like, really irresponsible because what was the point of it all if it wasn't for a balanced budget? But whatever your politics, whatever's underpinning the decisions you make about where the money goes, a global pandemic that comes out of nowhere can ruin your whole day. The economic engine, it stalled. Someone had to stick their foot on the brake really hard. And the only way to get it going again was to give it a great big jump start, which is brilliant. We were off and running. Maybe the engine shot off too fast. Maybe it's now uncontrollable. And there are a lot of people now looking at those price rises, that inflation, and saying, yes, it has, and it needs to be brought back. And one of the ways that the Bank of England can bring that back is to raise interest rates. It stops us spending as much money. We're now seeing some of the COVID life rafts withdrawn, though. Not everyone's lucky enough to have those pent-up savings, and we're also feeling the impact of other influences like Brexit and fuel inflation. Whether or not it was because of the timing of Brexit, whether or not it was because it all happened at the same time as COVID, many of the workers that we maybe thought would hang around haven't. They've gone home. So we're in a tricky situation. It sounds great. You know, there are more jobs out there than there are people to fill them. And that does mean, potentially, that wages will go up. But we've also then got these potholes because we've got some businesses that aren't able to function. They aren't able to find the staff that they need. Maybe that means long-term they won't be able to operate. They'll close. Or maybe they're just going to have to pay more and pull people out of other jobs. So what actually makes a good budget? We raided the archive for some old chancellors talking about how they prepared for the big day. You tend to have very few friends after a time among your colleagues because you're having to say on expenditure grounds no to so many of their pet projects. Nothing you can do can make an unpopular budget into a popular budget. I mean, when I introduced my last budget, putting up taxes, I didn't expect people to say, hooray, Christmas has arrived. The transfer, in a sense, is the bad policeman and the uh, prime minister is the nice policeman. And the chance is a nasty one, but of course they work very closely together if the thing's going to work at all. That's Nigel Lawson, Norman Lamont and the bad policeman Dennis Healy. Zigging when you're expected to zag can give the impression you're delivering a budget for everyone. Like Gordon Brown's first budget, for example. There were a lot of rumblings that a Labour Chancellor was going to be anti-business, wasn't going to be particularly responsible, deliver a budget that made everybody happy. What he seemed to do was a budget which made people think, actually, hang on, he is fiscally responsible. There's that term again, you know. He's making sure that all the I's are dotted and all the T's are crossed. But he also gave a little bit. We saw taxes come down. Life just felt a little bit better. However, you jump forward to the financial crash when... The Conservative government took over and they went into the Treasury and there was this note which has become legend, which says, you know, 
I'm sorry there's no more money left. Ah, the crash of 2008. I wondered when we get to that. The Conservative Lib Dem coalition response to that was, of course, austerity. This is NBC Nightly News with Brian Williams. The worst financial crisis in modern times, certainly the largest financial disaster in decades in this country. What started in America last year has now spread to every part of the world. Traders say this is the craziest day they have ever seen in these markets. This could be the most serious recession in decades. When the financial crash happened, the Conservatives looked at the fact that we were spending far more than we had coming in, and they said that has to change. That then led to austerity. Whether or not you think that was the right move, you can certainly see that they did shift that. They brought the amount that was being borrowed down. People didn't like it. These austerity cuts are not necessary. These austerity cuts are on the backs of disabled people. We're coming to complain about a group of people who have taken all the money and keep it for their friends rather than helping people who need it. Parliament needs to listen to the people. This is putting demo back in democracy. A lot of economists said, actually, do you know, in order to get the best results, maybe we should spend more to get the economy up and running again. That was the start of the austerity mindset, pushing forwards this idea that when we're doing a budget, we have to balance it, we have to have equal taxes for equal spending. The way that has been achieved hasn't necessarily been through increasing like progressive taxes. It's been achieved by cutting quite vital spending and that has had damaging impact. I mean, there's a few reports out there which are really morbid, which blame austerity for like excess deaths within the NHS. Before COVID, austerity might have caused 50,000 extra deaths during the pandemic. Still to come on The Smarter 7, we take a few guesses at what Rishi Sunak might have up his sleeve for us right after this. Welcome back to The Smarter 7. If you've just stumbled across us, you might like to give us a follow. We bring you the world's seven biggest stories in under seven minutes every day at 7am. So when Rishi Sunak stands up to deliver his 2021 budget, who will be the winners this time around? There is going to be a hike in national insurance, 1.25%. Now, I did the sums. If you're earning £35,000, then it's just over £300 more you will be paying. Uh, We know that there's going to be a corporation tax rise that will come in gradually. We also know that the pension triple lock. Now, these are the three things that the government looks at to make a decision about how much your pension is going to go up by. Normally, it would be inflation or 2.5% or average wage growth earnings. But because of furlough, average wage growth earnings are up a staggering amount. So what they've said is they're not going to look at that. Whatever your take on fiscal responsibility, one view is that the short-termism of government encourages chancellors to settle their budgets over their own periods in office rather than take a longer-term perspective. The government sort of exists over this sort of the infinite timeline, you know, it never dies. We can always sort of transfer when we're going to pay for something into the future or into the past in a way. 
money we've saved in the past can be used to pay for things in the future. Money we don't have in the past can be paid for us in the future. That sort of argument is lost when we try to balance the budget every year. We forget that actually, you know, governments are themselves a person and they can borrow from themselves in a way. Well, what kind of budget podcast would this be without some predictions? Whilst COVID has thrown a giant spanner in the works, there's still a buzz around the national living wage, as well as some measures to get us acting greener. There was a huge amount of discussion that we would see an increase in that, that it would go from £8.91 an hour to £9.42 an hour, which is a 5.7% increase or £928 a year for people working 35 hours a week. Petrol at the pump. Can you believe that we haven't seen our fuel duty go up for 11 years? It's been stuck at 58 pence a litre. This is a government that is really wedded to a green agenda. It wants to get people onto public transport, off the roads. So this could be a time when we do see our fuel duty go up maybe as much as five pence a litre. And when you consider how much you're already paying extra for a litre of petrol at the moment, then that's going to hurt a little bit. One prediction that's easy to make is how Budget Day has its bizarre British customs. The Chancellor is the one person in the chamber that's allowed to take a drink in there, for example. Rishi Sunak's teetotal, so he won't be, but the likelihood is he'll be carrying his papers in that famous red box that dates all the way back to Victorian times. I made no attempt to break with the tradition. I thought uh, the sort of extraordinary business of waving around Gladstone's battered old box in front of number 11 and posing a photograph, in my case with my wife usually, and uh, then shooting across the House of Commons. Uh, it was all good fun, and it concentrated interest on a vital political decision in a way which the more boring presentation of budgets to the Finance Committee or whatever Parliament it is does not do uh, in other countries. This has been The Smarter Seven, a bonus episode to get you up to speed on big and often complex stories. The regular Smart 7 is published every day at 7am. Search and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Written, produced and published by Daft Doris.